Good morning and welcome. We're glad you're here today. It's a beautiful Lord's Day, a little bit of fall in the air, and we're so glad you're here. Good to see your smiling faces, and if you're joining us by live stream today, we're glad to have you along as well. We want to welcome you to East LJ Baptist Church. If this is your first time uh, visiting with us, or if you're joining us on the live stream for the first time, uh, we want you to know that we're so glad that you've taken the time to join us here, and we want you to know that as a church, we have been captivated by Christ. We have seen, the scriptures say, the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Now, none of us have actually seen the face of Jesus, but what Paul means there is that we, through the life, death, and resurrection described in Scripture uh, of the Lord Jesus, we have seen the glory of our God. That is His grace. Holy God extends grace to sinners that He might call those same sinners and enemies uh, of His as we, in our rebellion, his sons and daughters. So we've, we've seen and heard this message, and we've been captivated by Christ. It's our goal and our prayer that this morning, uh, even as we uh, continue in worship now and, and, and throughout the remainder of the service, that uh, you would be captivated. Um, if you've never met Christ, if you don't personally know him, that you would be captivated by his beauty and enjoy him as much as we do. A couple of quick announcements as we look ahead to uh, later in the month. First of all, next Sunday morning, uh, right after the Sunday morning service, we, we're going to have a meeting of all of our youth and children volunteers. If you are serving or would be willing to serve um, in our youth and, and children's ministries, um, then please meet with us immediately after the service next Sunday. Our goal is to start back in-person uh, children's Sunday school, children's church, and nursery on September the 27th, Sunday, September the 27th. But our goal is only attainable if we have enough children and youth volunteers to make that happen. And so if you would be willing to serve in that way, if you have been and, and, and now pre-COVID pre and now post-COVID, uh, this is the time we want to try to get everything back in gear, uh, at least on Sunday mornings. And so uh, join us. Uh, we will uh, have some of our adult classes uh, beginning back that day as well in person uh, on a limited basis. Um, and then uh, as it's looking now, some of our children's classes will be combined classes. Uh, and that is in, in the main at this point. Uh, just because we don't have enough volunteers to cover all of the separate classes. So if you would help us out with that, that would be great. Uh, and, and we need your help as we move forward on September 27th. Also that day, so that, that would be Sunday morning, September 27th. On Sunday afternoon, September the 27th, at 4 o'clock, we are going to have a, a, a church-wide picnic out at Camp Mountaintown. We are going to have some music, probably some good old-fashioned hymn singing, um, out there, uh, your deacons are going to be smoking meat and grilling whatever they decide to grill. And uh, so we need you to bring sides, desserts, and drinks, and we'll have a big time out there at Camp Mountain Town. Uh, also, if you'd like to share uh, a word of testimony, just an, a word of encouragement, uh, we've been apart for a long time. Uh, God's, God's not been asleep or dead or inactive in your life, has he, in, in the middle of all that? So that'd be a great time for us to kind of catch up with each other and you share some testimony about what God's been doing in your life during uh, these days. So uh, if you'd like to do that, see me. We'll get, we'll get that lined up. Um, 
And then bring a friend, bring a neighbor. Uh, come along and, and ha have them come along with you and, and enjoy a good time of fellowship. Bring someone who uh, you love that, that needs to know Jesus and let them see the love of Christ among the people of God uh, at work at our church-wide fellowship and picnic. Uh, and so that's the announcements I've got. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read from the Word of God from Mark 8, 27 to 30. We're going we're gonna to be in three different Gospels this morning. This is the only time we'll spend in Mark's Gospel, but we're going to be looking at the same account from all three perspectives uh, as they're given by the different Gospel writers. Mark chapter 8, verse 27 says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. This passage and this account, as we'll see it from three different angles this morning, is the most important question ever asked in all of human history. And your answer is the most important consideration for all of eternity. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And we hope if you're joining us by live stream, you'll uh, get comfortable, uh, stay alert, Pay attention so we can hear directly from Jesus life's most important question. As we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, we, like Peter, know who Jesus is. He is the Christ. He is the only Savior. But there's a world that is yet to hear that message. There's people you know that have yet to personally trust Jesus. Maybe they've heard about him, but maybe it's your turn to to, to, to cultivate or water a seed that's previously been planted of the gospel. Maybe it's your turn to pray uh, for an open door to talk to them. Um, but there are, there are thousands of people groups who have yet to hear the name of Jesus. There's no gospel witness among them. Every Sunday morning we pray for one of those groups. This morning we pray for the Dobi people, a Muslim people in India. This is a very low caste in India. They they are the clothes washers. They, they do laundry for a living. And there are some 964 of, of these folks in India with no evangelical believers, no followers of Jesus among them. So we want to pray for the Dobi of India, but we want to pray for your neighbors and your coworkers, your family members uh, who, who are yet to be able to answer the question from the heart, from Jesus, who do you say that I am? They don't know. Or at least they personally have not yet embraced him. So pray with me uh, this morning. Father, thank you for a beautiful Lord's Day, for the freedom and privilege. What a privilege, God, to gather without any harassment this morning in this place and cry out to Jesus in prayer, to lift our voices in song, to worship him, uh, to, 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 to seek your face, uh, through the word of God and to hear your voice speak to us in scripture. Father, we praise you for these privileges and these joys, these pleasures of life that we do not take for granted. Father, this morning we, 
We thank you that you have opened our eyes to see who Jesus is. The only Savior sent from God. The Redeemer of mankind. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Father, we thank you for giving us eyes to see that. And how we pray that you would open the eyes of those close to us, family members, friends, co-workers, even as you open our mouths to talk about Jesus to them. And Father, we pray for the nations, especially this morning, the Dobi of India. Nearly a million people, Lord, who have no witness among them. And yet we swim in the gospel. So we pray, God, that you would raise up from our midst someone to take the gospel there, if that would be your will. We pray for believers in nearby areas to purposefully and intentionally take the gospel to the Dobi of India. And Father, may your church, Jesus, may you build your church there. Even as you call those whom the Father's given you out in faith to join the church worldwide, to become part of the body of Christ. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you will build your church. Right now, as your church, we bow our hearts before you and we lift our hands and now we want to lift our voices to you in worship. We want to sing. We want to sing loud. We want to sing with joy this morning. For we serve a risen Savior, and we have the joy and privilege of being able to sing and praise and to do it all with our hearts united and even together in one room again. Father, thank you for this privilege. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Good to see you all of you this morning. Let's join together and we're going to sing, I'll Fly Away.
Y'all can be seated. Uh, Megan's going to lead us in Call Me Higher. Sing along, though, just for fun. Yes, do sing. <laughs> Beautiful words to this song. you 
Father, we bow our hearts before you now and just make that our prayer. Because you are, Lord Jesus, our living hope, because we've come to you by your mercy and grace, been drawn through your cords of love and in the, the truth of the gospel, and we've seen our sin, we've turned from it, we've embraced Christ as our only hope, We've become sons and daughters of the living God. No longer enemies, but sons and daughters. It is true for us who know you that there is therefore now no condemnation ever again. We are seen by the Father as completely righteous. As righteous as Jesus, even wrapped in his perfect righteousness as we stand before the Father so that we can boldly come in prayer before you and know with certainty that we are in your double grip of grace, held by the Son and held by the strong hands of the Father. And because of that, Father, we cannot just be comfortable. We cannot just stay at home, mind our own, do our own thing. For you have called us deeper and higher. You have called us to join you as the redeemed of the Lord in reaching those who've yet to hear of Christ. You have called us to risk our lives for the gospel, to change our schedules, to redo our priorities that Christ may be known by those who yet don't yet understand who he is or personally embrace him. Thank you, Father, that you will lead us. What an adventure you've called us to. Our salvation is all by grace. Our entrance into heaven doesn't depend on whether we are faithful to that call, but our, our faithfulness to the call reveals whether we've ever actually tasted and seen the goodness of your grace. So make us faithful. And right now, Father, how I pray that your spirit would be our teacher as we open your word, as we hear clear words from Jesus. May each one in this place honestly and personally answer the most important question ever asked in all of history. And oh God, how everyone here in this place and listening to the sound of my voice via live stream today, I pray for each one individually that God today they would make a saving confession about Jesus. We depend on you. We lean on you. And now, having prayed to the one who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine, we wait on you. We say we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 is where we will be in just a few moments. You can... Uh, 
Go ahead and find Luke 9, verses 18 to 20. I don't know about you, but I've always been one to ask a lot of questions. I probably drove my parents nuts as a little kid, asking questions about everything. And, and even, even now, I still like to, to understand the ins and outs of things and, and ask questions about the whys and the wherefores of, of life and, and different things. And, you know, questions are an important learning tool, aren't they? Uh, I've heard it said you learn much more by asking questions than you do talking, and that's a very wise statement. Last night, I had the opportunity uh, to spend a little time with a farmer family, and I was talking to Weston Farmer. How many of you know young Weston? Okay, Weston Farmer is probably one of the most brilliantly inquisitive young boys that I've had the privilege to know, and I'm talking about I can't tell you a time that I talked to Weston that, number one, he didn't have a question, and number two, it wasn't a good question. I mean, it, I, the, boy, the boy is always thinking. Uh, we were watching him last night. He was just down there by the, the edge of the lake, and I'm telling you, if, 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 your, if your mind worked this way, his gears were turning so hard, there'd been smoke coming out of his ears if it worked that way. Uh, a, a deep thinker. Um, and, and he did. He asked me two or three questions before we got through with our, our conversation, and, and what a joy that was. So, Weston, I'm proud of you. You do good asking questions. Keep asking questions. But, you know, not ever with Weston. Well, I don't know. Jason may have a different opinion on this. I, I never get nervous with, with Weston's questions. But sometimes questions can make you nervous, right? Great learning tool. Sign of an inquisitive and brilliant mind. Uh, but sometimes they can ask questions can kind of make you nervous. You know, I, y'all, I know y'all can't imagine this ever happening, and, and none of you have ever done it, I'm sure, but many times I've had a phone call come, and the person on the other end of the line says, Pastor. Now, stay with me. There's, there's three different versions of how this goes. Pastor, I have a question for you. That's sometimes. Then there's other times, Pastor, I, I have a question for you. And then there's other times, <laughs> got to be listening when they call because you never know what's coming. The third version is, Pastor, I have a question for you. Now, I don't know exactly how to take any, any of those three versions. Y'all did some interpretation in your mind there, and believe me, I've been sitting right there just like you are right now. I've been thinking, hey, oh boy, where is this question going? Sometimes, in fact, you ever done this? I probably have. I've probably been guilty. I've also been on the receiving end. Sometimes questions are a sneak attack, aren't they? Yeah, because you don't want to just go ahead and, you know, vomit something on somebody, which is really what you're going to do later. You want to sneak up on them. You don't want them to see you coming. You don't want them to have the option of escaping the room right quick. And so you ask a question. It's a sneak attack. There's a lot of important questions about life that we should give consideration to. Before COVID-19, in fact, our youth Sunday school class was doing a series on life's big questions. Actually, <laughs> Cliff and Kay Burkett, who've since moved down to Marietta, were leading that class. And I don't know why, but they, were, they wanted me to come in there and answer the questions. I mean, I see what they were doing. You, you let a bunch of teenagers come up with a list of 25 questions, and then you sick them on the preacher, and just let the preacher deal with it. So that's what, that's what was happening. But we were having some good discussions about some really important, 
big picture life questions, um, and, and that's important. But you know, this morning, as we've already mentioned, we come to the most important question that's ever been asked. This is, it's not a manipulative question. It's not a sneak attack. It's a direct confrontation between Jesus and all of humanity. Every single man, woman, boy, or girl that's ever lived has to deal with this question. The most important question ever asked in all of humanity, uh, all of human history. And it, it's just as much for you, it's just as much for me as it was for Peter. Luke's account, chapter 9, verse 18. Here's what it says. Now, now it happened that as he, Jesus, was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. I want to talk to you this morning about Jesus' question. I want to turn it to you. Who do you say Jesus is? That's the title of our message this morning. Who do you say Jesus is? And here's the truth I want you to take home. What you personally confess about Jesus determines your eternal destiny and will be seen in your earthly living. Whatever you truly, from the heart, confess about Jesus will determine your eternal destiny on the one hand, and it'll be seen in your earthly living. Four realities I want you to see from not only Luke's account, but we'll be moving to Matthew's account. So if you want to be flipping real quick and putting the finger over in Matthew 16, uh, do that. We'll be going there in just a second. Four realities, though, this morning that I want you to see from, our, uh, from this account and from the, the various gospel accounts about Jesus' most important question, who do you say that I am? First of all, the ultimate question. We've already said this. But it cannot be overemphasized. In verse 20, he said to his disciples, he says this to all the disciples, who do you say that I am? By the way, when Jesus asked them questions about who other people said that he was, it wasn't out of ignorance. Jesus knew what they said about him. In fact, Luke records a couple chapters earlier uh, about what people were saying about Jesus, who they said he was. Some thought he was Elijah. Uh, some John the Baptist, you remember, it was Herod Antipas that said, uh, I, I, know, I know who John the Baptist is, but who's this guy? Uh, I killed John the Baptist, I beheaded John the Baptist, and, and he was wondering, had, had Jesus, had, was, was Jesus actually the resurrected John the Baptist? So, so Jesus didn't ask that question about what others said for his own benefit. He knew what they were saying. But it was part of his lead-up to the big question, who do you guys, that I've been hanging out with now for two and a half years, my disciples, my, my closest ones, who do you say that I am? And I want you to consider it all. I want you to have all the options on the table. I want to know, do you really understand? Or do you lean in the direction of most Jews of your day, all your, some, maybe some of your own family members, I need to know, do you really know who I am? 
the ultimate question. And, 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 and so at the very beginning of the message today, how will you, how have you, or if you've not yet, how will you answer that question today? Again, it is eternally important. Your rescue from God's holy justice and everlasting wrath against your sin depends on how you answer this question. That's as a series of a statement as I could possibly make to you today. Your enjoyment, on the other hand, and this is just a series, of eternal pleasures and never-ending joy found in God Himself alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Finding Jesus as your treasure and your prize. Hear me, how you answer this question, all of your everlasting joy and pleasure depends on that as well. And so we see, first of all, in this text, that this question is the ultimate question. There's no more important question. You know, we concern ourselves with a lot of things. We, we give time and energy to a lot of things. There is no more important Focus in life. There's no more important issue in life than this one. And by the way, if you know Jesus, if that's true for you, it's true for everyone you know who yet, who's yet to name the name of Christ, who's yet to trust your Lord and Savior. And so we're tempted oftentimes to think, well, I've answered that question. I've been like Peter. I've confessed, Jesus, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, what about everybody else that you know that hasn't? You see, this question still drives us to an urgency in life, doesn't it? A focus in life. To to, to never lose sight of what's ultimate. And that is the eternal state of the souls of men, women, boys, and girls all around you and to the ends of the earth. The ultimate question. But notice, secondly, there in verse 20 as well, the saving confession. And Peter answered, who do you say that I am? Jesus asked the whole 12 there. The saving confession is is heard in Peter's answer, and that's pretty typical, right? Peter always just spoke up for the boys, didn't he? He he was kind of quick to speak. Uh, So he was ready with the answer. This time he was right. He didn't say something stupid. Uh, We'll see that next week, by the way. Doesn't take him long. He'll come back back around to his normal routine. But right here he gets it right. Peter answered, the Christ of God, as Luke records it. We've seen the ultimate question. Who do you say that I am? The saving confession from Peter? Jesus, you are the Christ from God. Now flip over to Matthew 16, and we're going to spend the rest of our time here unpacking a a fuller account given by Matthew here in Matthew 16. We'll pick it up in verse 13. So just so you know what we're doing, I'm just going to back up and start over in his account, right? And then we're going to kind of pick up where we are, talking about a saving confession in just a second. Matthew 16, 13, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, remember we read that earlier, Mark said that. By the way, Caesarea Philippi, where are we in the Holy Land? Where are we in Palestine? The city, this city was about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And so if you took the Jordan River due north out of the Sea of Galilee and followed it almost to its headwaters... Um, you would pass by the city of Dan of the Old Testament uh, and, and sort of the northern, which has kind of been the northern boundary marker of the promised land uh, given to, to, to God's people in the Old Testament uh, in the promises there. Uh, just a little north and east of there, you would find the city of Caesarea Philippi. It had been um, 
known at another time as, as the city of Peneus, named after the, the pagan god Pan. Uh, but the newest temple at the time of Jesus built there had been built for Caesar himself, who called himself, and therefore this temple had in th- these inscriptions right there on it, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And so on Caesar's temple there in Caesarea Philippi, there was the, those inscriptions. By this point in Jesus' life, a lot of people had opinions about him. So he takes his disciples up to Caesarea Philippi, and we don't know this, but it's possible that he stood in front of that edifice, that temple to Caesar that, that had inscriptions, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And while standing there in front of that rock face with those inscriptions, turned to his disciples and asked them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Matthew 16, 14, and they said, some say John the Baptist, some say, uh, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew's version gives us the fullest answer given by Peter in that moment. You are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, that is, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. A saving confession. Who do you guys say that I am? Simon Peter, verse 16, replies, You are the Christ, the Son of of the living God. Hear me. This is the only correct and saving confession to Jesus' ultimate question. There is only one right answer in this exam. One, one question exam for the disciples. Imagine it. They've been with him for two and a half years. He's been teaching them, prepping them. This is the culmination of the teaching of Jesus to the twelve. And it's a one question exam. Didn't you always hate those in school? Because here's the deal. You know how much that question was worth? A hundred points. A hundred out of a hundred. You flub it, you're done. I mean, this is it. One shot. Peter nails it. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Here's the deal. The ultimate question only has one saving confession, and that's it. You see, humanity is free to have their opinions of who Jesus is. And they're free, all men, women, boys, and girls all across this planet, they're free to have their opinions about who Jesus is, and they're free to be wrong. Absolutely and eternally wrong. But hear me, we do not get to define Jesus for who we want him to be. Amen? Jesus is who he is. 
the only Savior sent from God, who lived a perfect life, died a sin-atoning death, and rose from the grave in victory over death for all who will ever believe on Him. There are not multiple ways or roads to God through all the various religions of the world. Jesus alone is the way, he said, the truth and the life. No one comes to, the, to God the Father except Jesus himself said, through me, the Son. Further note here, what Jesus points out about this saving confession of Peter's, this saving confession, this statement that Jesus and Jesus alone is the sent one from God, the Savior come from heaven. This saving confession, notice it's a divinely enabled confession. Did you catch that in Matthew 16, verse 17? Jesus answered, blessed are you, and, and, and notice what he's doing here. There's a little bit of literary stuff going on. When Jesus speaks, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon's son of Jonah. Why does he bring his daddy up? Because he's wanting to make a point. For flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter, here's the deal. You didn't figure this out because Jonah is your daddy. You, you didn't figure this out because Jonah was a good Jew who had you in synagogue and, and, and took you up to the temple some. You didn't figure this out because of anything to do with yourself, your own efforts, or any human effort. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. In fact, Peter, what you got to realize is the only reason you understand who I am is because my Father has revealed that to you. The sacred confession, a saving confession made by Peter is a divinely enabled confession. Uh, what, do you, what do you mean, Chad? Exactly what are you talking about? Well, just know this is true for every single person who has ever or ever will put their faith in Jesus Christ. The Father supernaturally has revealed to my heart and to yours if you know him today who Jesus is and the reality that he alone can and will save you if you'll trust him and confess him as your only hope, your savior, the master of your life, the Lord of all things. And you see, the moment we begin to look at someone else around us as if they're spiritually dumb or perhaps in our minds, we think more wicked than us because they don't yet trust or seek to obey Jesus. Hear me, that's the moment that pride has taken the reins of our hearts and our minds, and we've already forgotten in that moment why we have eyes to see and hearts to believe in Jesus as the only Savior, our only living hope because as Jesus tells Peter Peter you need to be reminded flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you you got the answer right you passed the test you aced the final exam Peter but before you turn around and gloat in front of these other 11 disciples know this the only reason you aced the exam is because my father told you the answer my father spoke to your heart my father taught you in your innermost being the truth about who I am Jesus said this 
in, in the same thing in a different way. We looked at this last week in John 6, verses 44 and 45. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And we saw last week, he said that in the, in the, in the context of people who were rejecting him. And he said, he said, you boys don't get all worked up. The reason you don't believe is because nobody can come unless the Father's drawing. And right now in this moment, he ain't drawing y'all. Plain and simple. And I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 45 of John 6, it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone, listen to this, who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. When do we come to Jesus? We come to Jesus when God the Father, through God, through the, the, the agency of God the Spirit, has worked in our hearts to teach us who Jesus is. That's when we come to him. That's when we see him for who he is. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 6, describe it this way. And even the gospel is veiled. Paul's talking to the church at Corinth. Paul's speaking here. He says, and even if our gospel's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. You see, it wasn't veiled because Paul kept a blanket over the gospel. Amen? Paul preached the gospel. I mean, he didn't have a flashlight that he kept stuck in his pocket when he went uh, different places that had never heard of Jesus. He took the flashlight out and he shined it right in their eyes, didn't he? So it wasn't a lack of, 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 of the gospel being preached. If the, if the gospel's veiled, he said, it's veiled to those who are perishing in their case. This is what's going on with them. The God of this world, listen, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And here's the verse that we basically reference every single Sunday morning when we welcome people into our fellowship here uh, to worship with us. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Every Sunday morning I say, we have been captivated because we have seen the light of the gospel, of the glory of God. We've seen in Jesus the glory of God. So what's, all, what's that all about? Here's the deal. What that passage is saying, specifically verse 6, what it's saying is this. Apart from the work of God in our hearts, the condition of the heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl is spiritual darkness, spiritual blindness. We're going to see in just a second. Spiritual, hear me, not sleep, not a nap, uh, not just kind of dozing off, dead, graveyard dead. That's what's going on inside. And here Paul says, when the gospel was preached to us who believe, the same God who said, let light shine out of darkness, when did he say that? He said that at creation. And in the middle of darkness, he said, let there be light. And what happened? Boom! Boom! There was light in darkness. And so what Paul's saying is the same God that did that at creation has done that at salvation. Every time a man, woman, boy, or girl looks to, to Christ, hears the gospel, and trusts Jesus as the, as the son of the living God, the only Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away their sins, every time that happens, God himself has 
flipped the light switch on. He has shown, read it, he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He has gone into our dark heart by the power of his spirit and through the power of the gospel, and he's turned the light on so that for the first time we can see our sin and the beauty of him, Jesus, as the Savior. Every time. And hear me. Without God flipping that switch, pulling the flashlight out, sticking it into your dark heart so you could see, you would never see. Y'all all right? I mean, is Jesus pretty clear? Peter, don't make a mistake. You aced the exam. I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, but flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. You didn't figure that out on your own. You didn't just one day wake up and decide to follow Jesus. My Father has revealed this to you. What a humbling and important truth to remember. Uh, one last passage, and uh, this won't be on the screen, I don't think. Is it on the screen? Okay, it's not on the screen. That's because I didn't want you to try to track along. Just listen, because I'm going to read it really fast. But check it out later. Jot down Ephesians 2, 1 to 9. Listen, listen to this description of our salvation. Paul says, and you, the church at Ephesus, true for me and you today, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's where you were, dead in trespasses and sin. Dead. What do dead people do? Nothing. Why? Y'all got this, right? Because they're dead. But God, Ephesians 2, 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, listen, made us alive together in, with Christ. Another way of saying, raised us from the dead. What happened the day you got saved? You got resurrected from death. You didn't just wake up from a nap and decide you'd start following Jesus. You were raised from spiritual death. By grace, you have been saved, Paul says. He just sticks that in there. Why? Because it's the only thing to say at that point. When you realize that on the day of your salvation, you woke up that morning as graveyard dead before holy God as you'd ever been. But in a moment of time through the gospel and by the power of the Spirit, God raised you from the dead. Now, I don't know if this gets you tore up, but this is shouting ground, amen? He made me alive. That's why Paul says, by Grace, you have been saved. What grace from our Father. We didn't dial up heaven and say, God, I got a problem. We're dead. We didn't say, you know, I've been thinking about how I've been living and I, and I probably ought to change. Dead people can't even think. We were dead. What did we contribute? Deadness. But that day, God made us live 
by grace. It's all grace. You have been saved. And he raised us up, verse 6, with Christ and seated us with him. Where are you right now? You say, Chad, well, you, we know you're dumb, but I mean, you're getting dumber. Where are you? You're, I'm in East Dallas Baptist Church. No, you're not. I mean, yeah, you are, but place you are. You know where you're at this morning? Check it out. This says in the past tense about you that he's raised you up with Jesus and seated you with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Your high end that you can touch this morning is sitting in a pew at East LJ Baptist Church. You're on your couch somewhere across Gilmer County. But your spiritual high end that you can't touch, the, your, 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 your true self, listen, it's, you're, you're as good as home. Isn't that amazing? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by, if you didn't catch it the first time, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, the faith, is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so we could keep going because I'm excited, but we're going to keep, actually we can keep going in this vein, but we're going to move on. So here's the deal, humble gratitude. That's, Peter, that's, God, that's, that's Jesus' point to Peter. Humble gratitude. That saving confession you just made, Peter, you need to understand it's a divinely enabled confession. It's only by grace that you can see who I am. Humble gratitude for the faith in Jesus we today enjoy, should hear me, always be the attitude and demeanor of our hearts. I'm just telling you something. If you'll catch what I just said, if, if, that, if you'll try to make that a part of your day life, it will change your attitude. About everything. What do you mean, Chad? I'm just telling you, if you get up and preach the gospel yourself, if you remind yourself tomorrow morning that it's by grace that a dead man like you, a dead woman like you spiritually, lives today, that it's because Jesus resurrected your heart one, one, one afternoon through the preaching of the gospel, if every day you'll, 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 you'll go through this, man, it puts perspective on everything. You won't be as cocky about that coworker who just irritates the soup out of you, because you'll realize you used to be a sinner in need of a Savior. Amen? You won't get as aggravated with your brothers or your sisters. You'll, you'll have more grace towards your parents. Parents, you'll have more grace towards your kids. You, you, I'll just tell you, you won't get as riled up when the news comes on. When you realize that a lot of what you see on the news is simply sinners dead in sin, acting like they're dead in sin. That's what dead people act like. They need a Savior. It'll change how you watch the news. How many of y'all going to try that? Let's just, I mean, sermon ain't over, but I just need to know. How many of y'all just say you'll give it a try this week? That you'll preach the gospel yourself the next six days. All right, let me know how it goes. I it'll change your life, I'm telling you. And I just wish I did it every day. I try, but I, I, I forget. Don't forget why you believe. Salvation is a gift of grace and received by the gift of faith given by the Father through the Spirit in order to trust the Son. This is a saving, the saving confession. The ultimate question, the saving confession. Remember, what you personally confess about Jesus determines your eternal destiny and will be seen in your earthly living. But notice thirdly from this passage, the church's foundation. Matthew 16, 18, the first part, after he tells Peter, that the Father has revealed this confession to him. He says, and I tell you, 
you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Some of you are familiar with this passage. You know there's a little backstory going on here. There's a play on words in the Greek going on. And so he tells, uh, said a while ago, Simon, didn't it? This is where he tells him he's going to start calling him Peter. Peter, Petros, means rock, means a little rock. And on this Petra, on this rock, Jesus said, I'll build my church, a bigger rock, a stone summit, this type of thing. So I'm just going to tell you what I think, and we're going to move on. We could, we could go all around. If you'll join us on Wednesday night, 630, uh, Zoom Bible study, we, we'll, we'll dive deep on it. But here it is. The meaning of this phrase is, generally speaking, speaking, pretty clear. Its nuances are a little bit more difficult to understand, and we're not going to get into all that. But let me just tell you what this does not mean. This is important. This verse does not give credence to the Roman Catholic teaching that Peter was the first pope. And that every pope since Peter has remained in direct succession. And all popes, like Peter, have, have, have had the direct authority given by God to speak, as they call it, ex cathedra, which means to say that when they give a papal bull, when they make a papal declaration, a declaration as the pope, speaking from the throne, they call it, it's as if Jesus himself were standing there on earth and the words they say, the, the command or directions they give are put on par with Scripture itself. So whatever this means, that's what it does not mean. How do we know that? Well, number one, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say any of that. I mean, it, you, you have to imply, infer, and... And, I mean, I don't know, backflip a bunch of times to get from on this rock I'm going to build my church, even if it refers to Peter, to all of that I just said about the Roman Catholic teaching about the Pope. Okay? Long, long way. Nowhere else in all of Scripture we've given any indication that Peter was superior to the other apostles. He calls himself a fellow elder in 1 Peter 5. Uh, two verses later, we're going to see next Sunday, he totally blows it. He passed the exam with flying colors here, but next week, you know what Jesus is going to say to, to Peter? Now imagine him saying this to the Pope. He, he's going to say, get behind me, Satan, because you don't know what you're talking about. So, no reason to think that. In short, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that he's going to build his gospel gathering, his church, on Peter's confession that he is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that he's going to use Peter as a key player early on as one of the foundation stones of Jesus' gospel gathering as one of the 12 apostles. So it's both, I believe, it's both that he is going to use Peter in a special way, but more so even as Peter bears witness to this confession that he just made. Here's why I think all that. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, Paul says, So then you, speaking to Gentile believers in Ephesus, are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Listen, built on the foundation of the apostles... And prophets. You as a church, you as a local church there at Ephesus, you are built on the apostles' foundation. Now that does not exalt the lives of the twelve. It exalts, hear me, the message of the twelve. This message that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the risen and reigning Savior, the only Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, that is, of his church, in whom the whole structure, that is the church, not a physical building, but people, 
being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together. You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There is no more temple. We, the church, are the temple of the living God. Believers in Jesus who make this good confession are the temple of the living God. And so we see Jesus' words here that on this rock I will build my church, the foundation of the church. The church's foundation is nothing other than the gospel itself. The confession that Jesus is the Christ. J.D. Greer summarizes it this way. It simply means that they are going to lay out as his representatives the boundaries of the faith and the way they lay out the particulars of who goes to heaven will be an accurate reflection of what Jesus thinks. Jesus did not leave a Bible, it is true, but he left a group of apostles authorized to write one. And he, he is here promising that the Bible they write will be accurate and that what the apostles explained to us about Jesus and the way of salvation is what he really thinks also. The church's foundation, it is the saving confession that Peter made in answer to the ultimate question of life. But lastly this morning, in verse 16, or Matthew 16, verse 18, notice Jesus' determination. Jesus' determination. On this rock, I will build my church. The word for church used here is the same word we used, uh, Saul used in the book of Acts when we were studying through the book of Acts together. It's the word ecclesia. It means gospel gathering in short. If you want to know what it's all about, it means a gathering around the gospel of Jesus. And it means that because it's Jesus' church. The word could be used of any kind of gathering, but in this particular case it was, it was referencing God's people, Jesus' followers. On this rock, Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus' determination. Here's the thing. You know what the building of the church depends on? It doesn't depend on anything but Jesus himself. I will build my church. You say, well, what about the Great Commission? Yes, it, it, he'll get the Great Commission accomplished. Here's, here's what I'm trying to, to, to drive home to you. Here's the deal. I can either be involved in that or not. And in his sovereign plan, he already knows whether I will be or I won't be, how, how, to what extent I, I will choose to be, and so forth and so on. But at the end of the day, let me tell you what the deal is. You're not going to stop the building of the church by your disobedience and your unwillingness to join him on mission in the gospel and in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. He'll just set you aside as, as individuals. Revelation tells us if, if we don't want to play his game as a church, a local church, he'll just let our church disappear from the face of the earth, never be seen again. And he'll replace us with another local church. But he will build his church. I want him to do it with me. I want him to do it with our church. But with or without... Jesus is determined, and he will build his church. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 6 describes this building project when it says, As you come to him, a living stone, he's a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, Jesus is that stone. You yourselves, as you come to him, as you trust him as your Savior, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Who's that? 
That's Jesus. You're not the cornerstone. I'm not the cornerstone. It, don't all, it ain't all about me. It's all about him. And we are being built on top of him, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You remember some, some years ago, a couple years ago now, we were studying through 1 Peter, and, 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 and I'm not real good at object lessons, but somehow, uh, by the grace of God, I came up with this one. And I, made a, I took a, a gray bo- a box and painted it gray and wrote Jesus big on it. And that was a cornerstone. We sat that right here. And then I made a bunch of other ones or had, had, had some church members make, make one, put their names on it. And then I said, now y'all come up here and lay your stone next to, on top of, around Jesus. And that's what the building of the church looks like when Jesus is building his church. We are joined to him, the cornerstone. He shapes, the sh- the, he, 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 he um, uh, dictates the, sh- the shape and the structure and, and all the lines of the building but we are being built together with him. And that's why, Joe, we regularly, you and I both regularly say now, this building is not the church. You are the church. You are the rocks that are stacked on top of the rock that make up the temple of the living God. Jesus' determination, I will build my church. And because of Jesus' determination... There is an invincibility about Jesus' church. The verse goes on, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do you understand what we're part of as members of the body of Christ? We are part of an invincible organization called, a spiritual organization called the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church. And because I'm the one doing the building and bringing other living stones to make up the temple of the living God that he inhabits now on earth, the gates of hell can't even prevail against it. We're part of an invincible, unstoppable cause in this world. In, in the Psalms, I wish I could wish I'd check this out and thought to check this out before now, but in the Psalms it talks about how the nations rage against God. And you know what God does? He laughs. He laughs. I mean, people just think they're in control. The, the, the causes people are championing today think they're invincible and unstoppable causes. They're not. There's one unstoppable, invincible cause, and you, brother and sister, are part of it. It's called the Church of Jesus Christ. Jesus' determination guarantees the success of the gospel in our world, even when you can't see it, and the fulfillment of the Great Commission. It guarantees it. Jesus will build his church. The gospel will succeed in this world, and the Great Commission will one day be fulfilled. One day, Matthew 24, 14, will happen that that every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will have heard the gospel preached to them. It'll happen. And let me just encourage you, before I share some information with you, don't just perceive what God's doing in the world by the news. Y'all all right? Get some different info. Jot these things down. Stuff like the Joshua Project, uh, Voice of the Martyrs, the International Mission Board, um, Wycliffe.org. These are some... Uh, 
Ethnos 360. Find, go to these mission organizations and find out what God's doing in the world. You'll read stories about how right now today, the church in Iran, and it's been true for two or three years now, the church in Iran is exploding. In an absolutely Muslim closed country, the church is growing. Why? Because Jesus said, I will build my church. There are 17,446 people groups in the world. That is a a unique ethno-linguistic group. Of those 17,4, there are 7,408 unreached people groups. That is to say, there is less than 2% of that people group that's heard the gospel and trusted Christ. So some of you have already ran those percentages. That's 42.5% of the people groups in the world are lost. The population of the world is 7.75 billion. Of that, there are 3.23 billion, almost half, that are unreached. Which is 41.7% of the total population of the world is yet, hear me, not just lost, is yet to hear the gospel in a meaningful way. But, we serve a Savior who is determined. He will build His church. And because He will build His church, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Not even death and hell can stop Jesus from building His worldwide gospel gathering from all nations and tribes and languages. Jesus is saying that when we confess faithfully, not only will He protect our church, He will enable us to advance God's kingdom into Satan's most well-fortified strongholds. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. So, so hear, hear, me, hear, hear what Jesus is saying. That's not a call for a holy huddle, an hour for and no more mentality. Let's just stay home. Remember that song Megan sang? We could just stay home. Stay calm, stay home, Joe. Just, just, be, just, uh, just be, just enjoy the Lord at the house while a world, three billion are on the verge of busting hell wide open. That's not what this is a call for when it says the gates of hell won't prevail against it. It means that we can be on the offensive, that we can go to battle against the enemy, we can penetrate the darkness. God keep us, God will use us to penetrate the darkness. This is an assurance that we can advance into the most evil parts of society with the gospel and expect Jesus to redeem men, women, boys, and girls from the darkness. Are we going into the darkness? Are we taking the light where it's dark? Are we just staying in the light where everybody's heard? Are we doing that in America? There's darkness here. Are we just railing about it on a political level? Or are we penetrating it with the gospel that can actually change the darkness? We can go boldly to the unreached people groups of the world where it is even dangerous, places like Iran, to name the name of Jesus and know that even if we die a martyr's death, Jesus has us in his grip of grace and he will even use the death of one of his people to win the nations to himself. You're like, whoa, 
We just went from witnessing to people in America to you, uh, some of us getting killed in the nations. What my point is this. That would not be a gospel failure. It would be a gospel success most often if you did die for Jesus. Now, I don't know how many of us will end up in a place like Iran. I hope some of you will. I, I, I pray. I ask God to raise, raise, raise up kids to go. Parents, you just need to know. Your preacher prays that God would raise up some of your kids to take the gospel to unreached people, dark places where the gospel can't go freely. Why? Because Jesus will build his church. And when every nation has heard the gospel of Jesus, that's when Jesus is coming back. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for that day. And I want to do all we can to expedite the day. You say, Chad, a missionary getting killed, is that really, can that really be a success for the gospel? Well, we could go to Revelation and, and I could show you how, how, how Jesus thinks about the martyrs. Those that died for their faith, they got a special place in heaven, for real. Like, that's not just a thing somebody says. That's a real thing in Revelation. Uh, they have a special place. But I'll tell you a, a, a real-life story that you're, many of you are familiar with. Jesus established his church among the Alka Indians in the rainforest of Ecuador by the death of five men all at the same time. After several months of exchanging gifts with the tribal people there, on January the 3rd, 1956, the missionaries established a camp at Palm Beach, it was called, a sandbar along the Curare River. Their efforts came to an end, though. That's January the 3rd, 1956. Five days later, January the 8th, their efforts came to an end when all five, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCulley, Peter Fleming, and Roger Udarian, were attacked and speared by a group of Huarani warriors. But here's what's amazing. They had families back home. They had wives, kids, who planned to go and live there with them. But as an advanced troop, they went and they were all five slaughtered. But several years after the death of those men, the widow of Jim Elliot, Elizabeth, and the sister of Nate Saint, Rachel, two women, returned to Ecuador as missionaries with SIL International to live among the Aka Indians. This eventually led to the conversion of many, including some of those who killed those men. Elizabeth Elliot has was instrumental in preaching the gospel to men who killed her husband. The invincibility of Jesus' church. Now, Nate Saint's son, I can't think of his name, actually, on a regular basis for years, has worked with some of the men. They are now aging, of course, who killed his dad to reach the next tribe. You see, this is what our life is about in the church. The sad part is, in America, we seem to get it less than the church, for example, in China, who, by the way, praise the name of Jesus, is in the process of sending missionaries to the U.S. We need them. Because we as a church are failing to reach the U.S. So thank God that our brothers and sisters in China have the gospel vision to send missionaries here to share the gospel with the people of America. 
Notice the, the authority of Jesus as we close Matthew 16, verse 19. He says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In short, this is speaking of delegated authority that Jesus uh, gives to his local gospel gatherings to be his representatives. Listen to me. This is important. You don't get to just make it up as you go and, 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 and heaven rubber stamps it. I think, I, I, think, I think we'll loose this. I think we'll bind that. We'll put Jesus' name in there and then heaven's got to do it because that's what Jesus said had to happen. No. It's as we stand as his representatives on his written word and act and operate in accord with Scripture that heaven pronounces its blessing. But the local church is given the, the, the authority, delegated authority from Jesus to self-govern. And for members to hold one another accountable, teaching, correcting, rebuking, and disciplining even when necessary based on this book. And hear me, when the local church, if, it, if and when it's acting according to this book, then it is if Jesus is speaking through the local church to you. By the way, that's what it means to be in submission to Christ and to be in submission and under the authority of a local church. It means that you recognize that Jesus rules in the world today through his church. And he speaks to his people. He disciplines and sanctifies and encourages and builds up his people through the local church. Who do you say Jesus is. What you personally confess right now in this moment. There's no waiting. You are giving an answer even as you hear the question, who do you say Jesus is? What you personally confess about Jesus determines your eternal destiny and will be seen in your earthly living. You say, well, Chad, you didn't talk about that last part too much. No, we've talked about it before, but I'll just hit on it real quick. What you say about Jesus, what you confess about him determines your eternal destiny. But here's the deal. If you really believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, if, 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 if you really make a, a true confession, a saving confession like Peter did, you know what Peter ended up doing? He ended up dying for Jesus. He would go on to spend his life. I and mean, he made some mistakes along the way. You will too. But here's the deal. On the day of Pentecost, who did, who did Jesus use to birth the early church? He used Peter. And he preached one of the most powerful gospel messages about who Jesus is and what he'd done that's ever been preached. And he went on to die. He died a martyr's death. Tradition tells us he, he refused to be crucified the same way Jesus was. And they crucified Peter upside down. What am I saying? If you really mean what you say when you say to Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, then you give him your life. Because you understand that to say he's the Christ means he's the boss, he's the master. Your life's not your own. And so here's the deal. You, if you're a good tree, you'll have good fruit. If you really follow him, then it'll show that you follow him. You, you can't follow Jesus and not change. Changing doesn't save you. But being saved changes you. Being indwelt by the Spirit changes you. And so if you don't change, then you need to question your salvation. Is that what you said, preacher? That's exactly what I said. Examine yourself, Peter himself would say, to see if you're in the faith. What you personally confess about Jesus determines your eternal destiny and will be seen in your earthly living. I hope you'll join me in this simple summary confession. I confess, 
As your pastor today, I confess that Jesus is the Lord of the whole earth, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, reigning supreme, hear me, over whoever wins the election this year. He, and he alone is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he is the one way of salvation for all people, the one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, that, that the whoever will call upon that name, the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved with whom there is no difference in whether a Jew or a Greek, the black or the white, the rich or the poor, the Democrat or the Republican, the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on whoever call upon him. There is only one kind of human being, sinners, us all, and one Savior, Jesus alone. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. I confess this because the Bible Jesus authorized teaches it, and I believe that all of Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and whether that confession is unpopular or not, it comes with the power of God, and that's the last thing I ever want to lose is the power of God. And so East LJ Baptist Church, because of Jesus' promise that he puts on this confession here in the text we've looked at today, we will never be satisfied when there is so much lostness in our own community and our world. Or hear me, the day we do, Jesus will remove our lampstand, Revelation 2 and 3. And instead of using East L.J. Baptist, he'll just get rid of you and he'll use another local church to accomplish the same goal. Who do you say Jesus is? What you personally and corporately confess about Jesus determines your eternal destiny and will be seen in your earthly living. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that Jesus just cut to the chase and told us straight and we humble our hearts before you right now. I confess, Lord Jesus, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're my only hope. But you're my living hope. You're here right now. Father, I pray for any who are hearing my voice today who've yet to confess you as their Savior, to trust you and you alone as the Lamb of God who takes away their sins, then I pray that right now, God, they would answer the most important question with the only right answer and say to you, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are my only possibility for a Savior, and you are a certain Redeemer. Lord, let that happen in someone's heart right now. And Father, I pray that for those of us who have made that confession, that we would look like it. If there are lost church members who have made confessions, professions, been baptized, gone through all the motions of what it means to to, to, to trust Christ. But in this moment, your spirit is causing them to realize that they have never truly followed Jesus because nothing's changed. They've said a prayer. They've gone through the motions. But their heart has not been radically changed by the indwelling presence of Christ. Then I pray that you would 
move them, God, to faith in Jesus and public declaration of the same in this moment. Father, our hearts as a church will take no greater joy than to see one of our own. Lord, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. We as a church would rejoice to know, just as my son did a few years ago, baptized at a young age, but in college realized he knew the gospel. He'd been dumped, but he had never followed Jesus. And as I told him that night, Father, I told him, and, and church, hear me, I told him, said, son, there's nothing to be ashamed of. I praise God that you now follow Jesus. That's how we'll respond. And so, Father, as we open this time of invitation, I pray that you would move and that, and that that would happen, that lost church members would be saved. And God, for your people who know you, but who are not following as hard as we ought to be following, God, use this message to move us into greater obedience and greater service for the cause of the gospel and the advance of your kingdom in this world, the fulfillment of the Great Commission, even among the nations. God, call out someone to go to the Dobie people in India. Call out someone to go to the Muslim world with the gospel, even in a covert way. For Jesus, you are worthy. You're worthy. He is no fool, said Jim Elliott, who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We cannot keep our earthly lives, but we can gain eternity and we'll never lose it. Make it so in us, we pray, even as we sing. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. This altar is open for you to come and respond to the Lord Jesus just however you need to do this morning. Maybe you need to know Christ as Savior. I'll be right here at the front. Come talk to me. Maybe you just need to pray for someone that you know is lost that's never yet made the saving confession about Jesus. Maybe you're a lost church member and you just need to say, Pastor, I've been lost. I, I, I thought I was saved, but I, I realize now I'm not. I, 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 I've gone through the motions, but... In my heart, I've, I've, not, I've not experienced that change that grace brings to a life. Maybe you're a church member, you say, I want to be involved in reaching the nations with the gospel. I feel like God's calling me to be part of what it means to, uh, what, what, what God's doing to reach the unreached of the world. Pastor, help me know how to take the next step. Whatever you need as we sing together.
God's people said. Amen and amen. Two quick announcements again. Next Sunday, following the morning worship service, youth and children volunteer meeting. This is very important. We, we're seeking to, to restart things on uh, Sunday, September the 27th. Uh, right now, we're struggling to have enough volunteers to make that happen, so we need your service in that way, whether you've been serving in the past or would be willing to serve now. Uh, on Sunday, September 27th, we hope to start Children's Sunday School, Children's Church and Nursery, along with some adult Sunday School classes here in person. Uh, but we need you to join us next Sunday uh, for that meeting. Also, on September the 27th, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, we're having a church-wide fellowship and picnic. We invite you all to come. Maybe you've been joining us by live stream over these last months, but you've yet to attend our service. Maybe still a bit nervous about the in-person part. Come to Camp Mountaintown. We can get you directions. Just reach out to us for that. We'd love to meet you there in an outside way, a little safer environment with fresh air all around us. And so maybe you'd come out and join us at that time, bring friends, family, uh, co-workers, neighbors with you uh, to that, uh, folks that need to know Jesus or maybe you already do, invite them to come enjoy some good fellowship with us. I'm going to ask Tim to dismiss us in prayer, and after Tim's done praying, we will sign off from live stream and be dismissed. Heavenly Father, Father, I want to thank you for this day. Thank you for the many blessings that you've given us. Thank you for the uh, blessing of being able to attend this morning and uh, to hear the message. We ask you to go with us and keep us safe. In your name we pray. Amen.